0: Video was powerful, wasn't it? <clears throat> Getting to sing to Jesus together is an incredible experience. 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 We're going to experience Jesus this morning. We already are. And it's a wonderful thing. Before I get into anything, I want to pray. And I want us to keep in mind that we are praying to our resurrected Lord. There's an echo that, or check, check, one, two, there we go, is that a little bit better? Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, The title this morning is Heart, H-E-A-R-T, Heart Sight, Heart Knowledge, and Heart Fire. If you are dry spiritually, if you're tired, if you are needy, if you are wanting to experience Him, if you're spiritually lost, um, you're in the right place this morning. If you've not experienced Jesus in a while, you're in the right place this morning. We're going to experience our resurrected Lord here this morning. We already are. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to work in power. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and knowledge, the revelation of Him, that we would have the eyes of our hearts be open this morning, enlightened this morning, that all the knowledge that we have about God And that you would add fire to it and it would drop deep down in our soul and we would burn hot with passion this morning for the glory of God. God, stir our affections this morning. I pray for right, good, and holy feelings to be unleashed this morning. I ask for tears of joy. I ask for you to come in this room and move in power that we would experience the things that we know to be true about you. That this would be experiential this morning. That we wouldn't just talk theoretically about a risen Savior. That risen Jesus, King, Lord of everything, that you would meet us here right now. Holy Spirit, move in power. We trust that you will. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Again, we're going to finish chapter 1 this morning, and uh, I want you to think about just the providence of God when we uh, have been walking through the book of Ephesians. We get to Easter Sunday, and the temptation is, let's find a, a passage on the resurrection, and that'd be right, true, and good. There would be nothing wrong with that. But I want, want us to see what God provided for us in the book of Ephesians this morning, because the, uh, the, the root system of the passage this morning, the root system is the very resurrection of Jesus. Okay, when a telephone pole, does anybody know how deep a telephone pole goes into the ground when, when the power company, when Ameren comes and puts a power pole in? Does anybody know how deep in the ground it goes? Deep. Huh? <laughs> deep. So it's six feet, that's standard, okay? So there's some new information for you today. Uh, it goes six feet deep, and the reason it does that is because it needs to be deep enough for the pole not to go side to side. Well, similarly this morning, uh, the, the roots of this passage, the roots of Paul's Prayer for the church in Ephesus, go deep down into the very resurrection of Christ. I want you to see this. Go ahead and look at verse um, 20, if you would, 19 and 20. It says, And what is immeasurable greatness, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ Jesus when He raised Him from the dead? So whatever Paul's request is, previous to verse 19 and 20, the foundation of the, requ- the, of the request is the resurrection of Jesus. Now isn't that neat of God to provide for us here this morning? We've been walking just verse by verse through Ephesians, and here we go, it, it, the, the first prayer of Paul in this book, it gets its roots deep down in the soil of the resurrection of Jesus. Just a cool thing that God did for us this morning. I want us to read a couple accounts because I'm praying that these things will happen to us this morning that would happen in your heart this morning. And here's what I want to, to read. I want us to look at the history of the burning heart, hearts set on fire for the glory of Jesus. We love the mind, but we love the heart here also. And ultimately, Christianity is the truth in the heart. We get a new heart when we become a Christian. I want you to read, or excuse me, listen to the testimony of Jonathan Edwards. This is what I pray happens this morning. Here's what Jonathan Edwards did. In 1737, as I rode out into the woods for my health in 1737, having alighted from my horse in a retired place, as my manner commonly has been, to walk for divine contemplation and prayer, I had in view, I had a view that was very much extraordinary for me the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man. And his wonderful, great, and full, pure, and sweet grace and love and meek and gentle condescension. This grace that appeared so calm and sweet appeared also great above above the heavens. The person of Christ appeared ineffably excellent, with an excellently great, excellency great enough to swallow up all thoughts and conceptions which continued as near as I can judge about an hour. Jonathan Edwards was walking in the woods and he was met with a vision and experience of seeing Jesus as the mediator between God and man and it swallowed everything else up around him. He was so captivated by the glory of Jesus that it marked his life for the rest of his life. It was an experience in the woods. It was prayer and contemplation and God himself came and met with him and it changed him forever. He experienced what he knew to be true in his mind. D.L. Moody said it this way, I began to cry as never before for a greater blessing from God. The hunger increased. I really felt that I did not want to live any longer. I kept on crying all the time that God would fill me with His Spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say, God revealed Himself to me. And I had such an experience of His love that I had to ask Him to stay His hand. He so experienced the love of God that he actually had to ask God, hold back, I can't take it any longer. And this is what my hope is this morning. Paul prays for us. And he prays that we would experience The God that we know in our mind. And that's what I hope, is that we experience God this morning. Let's just read the prayer, and then we'll walk through it. Look in verse, starting in verse 16. Yeah, 15, excuse me. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Let's stop. Paul heard two things about the church in Ephesus. he Here, two things. Remember, uh, the church was planted um, by Paul in Acts 19, and this is about 8 to 10 years earlier. So Paul is writing to a church that's about 8 to 10 years old, and he had been hearing some things about this church, and he heard two things. He heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he heard their love toward all the saints. And this is going to inspire a prayer in him. It's going to inspire two things in response to these two things that he heard. One, he heard that they loved Jesus. So this is a group of Christians. we got to keep this in mind as we get into this prayer. It's a group of Christians. He's writing two Christians. And he hears of their love toward all the saints. And so Paul has two responses. He, won. thanks God for them. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He gives thanks to God for them, and he constantly, the second thing is he constantly remembers them in his prayers. Paul loved the church, and he knew who to thank for it. Okay, Paul heard of the faith in the church in Ephesus, and he knew because the church in Ephesus has faith in God and love to the saints, I need to thank God for that. So he looks at the work of God in this church. As I look out and see the work of God in your lives and I hear about your testimonies, I can't help but thank God for that. If you heard about my testimony, and I'm going to share about that here in a little bit, uh, you would recognize that you wouldn't thank me for my testimony. You would thank God for my testimony. And if we were to get in this room, get up and stand, and you each to tell about God's work in your life, it should inspire in us, not thankfulness even for you, but it should inspire thankfulness to God for what He has done in your life. We all have these shared experiences of God working in us, and it should inspire in us a great thankfulness to God for it. This is what Paul is saying. I thank God. When I hear about your faith in God and your love towards all the saints, it works in me a great thankfulness to God for you. I'm so thankful. And I remember you in my prayers. I love this because we see Paul's pastoral heart. He's constantly thinking about the church in Ephesus. In pastoral circles, unfortunately, there's a phrase that goes around and it goes like this, ministry would be great if it were not for the people. You ever heard that? You ever heard any pastor's joke about that? Ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. The idea is, hey, I love doing stuff for God, but it's just his people that are pretty annoying. Okay, that's the kind of the idea. Right? And we've all, we can kind of like sympathize with that a little bit. Um, here's what I want to say about the Apostle Paul. Uh, he would never say that. He would never say that because he loves the church. He loves the bride of Christ. Let me ask you this. If you came up to me and said, Jared, uh, I think you're cool, but Jordan, she's not that cool. Um, do you think that I would like you very much? I just wouldn't. And we've got to be careful as we go in our lives. We, get, we pick up bumps and bruises as we walk in this life and walk in, in our church experiences. Um, we pick up bumps and bruises along the way because the people of God are not perfect. We've got to be careful we don't get in this kind of the bandwagon of, well, I love Jesus but don't love the church. Um, Jesus loves His bride, His wife. And we are not free to not love whom He loves. So we love the church, and this is what you see in Paul. You see that he loves the church. He would never say ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people because he loves you. And any any pastor, anybody in pastoral ministry who does not love the church has no business being in pastoral ministry at all. If you don't love the people of God, they're not a pastor. And the question goes to you: Do you share this heart with Paul? Do you love God's people? And I think for many of us, we're experiencing church life in a way that's fresh and new, and it's been a great joy to be able to serve you, serve along with you, and to be able to experience church life together. I think about you often, remember you in my prayers, and I thank God for what He has done in your life. This should be a mark of anybody in ministry. And so I I think if we heard testimony after testimony, we would all stand in unison and we we would just say a big thank you to God for what He has done. But the, but the prayer, Paul's prayer, it goes on. We get to find out, what does Paul pray for? And this is going to be really fascinating because there's two prayers of Paul in the book of Ephesians, and they're very similar. Uh, we're going to get to hear Pastor Paul's prayer. Like, what did the Holy Spirit lay on his heart to pray for the church in Ephesus? He loves them. He thinks about them often. He remembers them in, in, in his prayers. But what is he praying for? What does he want for them? And I think for us, we should want these things as well. This is what I want for me and what I want for you. Let's read the content of Paul's prayer. He says this, Remembering you in my prayers, starting verse 17, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Now, isn't this interesting? Shouldn't this have already happened if this is a group of believers? Shouldn't it have already happened, the eyes of their heart being enlightened? Shouldn't it have already happened that the Holy Spirit has come and given them wisdom and opened their eyes, uh, wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of Him? Well, we would think, right? They're already believers, He's writing to them and says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I'm praying this for you. But the prayer is just, I mean, think, think with me, isn't that an odd thing to pray for Christians? It means that there are some Christians that have the eyes of their hearts closed; they're not open. And he's praying that the eyes of their hearts would be opened. It means that there are some Christians who don't have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. It means there are a group of people in the church at Ephesus who were going through the motions, who were Christians, who loved God, loved other people, but apparently they didn't have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, and the eyes of their heart. We're closed. And what he prays for is that God would do something about that. Now the question I ask is, for me personally, is that me? Am I a Christian who needs, needs the eyes of my heart opened? Am I a Christian who needs spirit of wisdom and revelation of, no, of the knowledge of God given to me? And the answer to that is yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. And the answer to that for you is yes, 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 and yes. I need that. Um, And yet, for many of us, we've experienced this. Many of you, you you've experienced this. And it doesn't mean that you're on some super level. It doesn't mean that you're at a plateau and you don't need to hear anything more from God or you don't need the eyes of your heart opened even more. It means that some people have experienced God in this way. The two requests that Paul lays out is that, one, that God the Father would give them, a, uh, give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. And then the way that's defined is having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Now, all of us have knowledge of God, okay? We all have thoughts about God. That's our theology, okay? Knowledge, the study of God. We all have ideas. So everybody in here is a theologian, whether you know it or not. Theology is a good thing, okay? We all have thoughts about God. But here, the request is that God would give him a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. It means that there's apparently more knowledge of God to have. There's deeper knowledge. There's more profound knowledge. And there is eyes apparently in your hearts that can see. Now what on earth does that mean? If you were to open with a scalpel our chests and open us up, you wouldn't see eyes on the heart, right? But apparently, the scriptures speak about the heart in such a way that the the heart can see that the heart even has thoughts, that the heart has feelings, the heart can feel. This is the inner inner part of a person. The eyes, their heart would be enlightened, and this is the truth of the prayer that Paul is praying. The truth is, you can be a Christian and yet the eyes of your heart stay closed to the wonders of God. Here may be a diag- diag- diagnostic for you. If he's praying for the wisdom and the knowledge of the of the uh, knowledge of God, um, let me just. Um, give a diagnostic. When you hear people talking about God or theology, okay, or the deep things of God, does it excite you or no? Not at all. Does it stir any affections in your heart when you hear theological discussion? Okay, maybe for some of you, you'd say, yeah, I love that. I just talk theology all day long every day. But for some other folks, like no doctrine, theology, the knowledge of God, it really doesn't get me that excited. I don't really think about God in that way very often. I just I love God, and I just want to serve Him. Basically, that's enough for me. I just want to love Him and sing to Him. That's that's just enough. And if that's you, if that's you, where it's like, hey, the things of God really don't make all that much of a difference to me. I don't really like talking theology. I don't really like studying the Bible. I don't really like uh, talking to people about God or reading books about the Bible. Um, I just want to love God and and sing to Him, and, and that's enough for me then let me tell you, I, I think the eyes of your heart are, are still closed. I think that you need this morning a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. And lest we think we've arrived, I think all of us in this room need more and more and more. Um, how many of you know, the more you know of the grace of Jesus, that, that there's more to discover? How many people have arrived in everything that you could ever know about God? Anybody? How many of you have experienced everything you could ever experience from God? Anybody? Okay, so Paul's prayer is that, that something would move deeper. Something would move from our mind to our hearts. That the eyes of our hearts would be opened up, opened up. So, okay, here's the questions. Are you passionless? Are you a Christian? But biblical theology does not excite you very much? Do you have a real love for Jesus and his church? Are you dry spiritually? Do you know that there are more there is more grace to be experienced? Okay? All these things, these are diagnostics. You need this this morning. Here's the this. When I was 5 years old, I became a Christian. When I was 25 years old, 21 years old, excuse me, fire came. When I was five, became a Christian, I grew up in a church, and I loved Jesus, never went really through a rebellious stage. Uh, the peer pressure for me was always go to camp, you know, it was like uh, do Christian things. That was the peer pressure. In a lot of ways, I'm, I'm so thankful for that. But it wasn't until I was 21 years old that the gospel, the good news, the God who saved me got my heart. I had been going through the motions for how many years? 21 minus 5 is 17. For 17 years, I had been going through the motions, wait. 16 years. I had been going through the motions, doing Christian things, but I didn't understand or know the Gospel at all. It wasn't effectual in my heart. Yes, I had cried before, but the glories of the Gospel remained hid to me. The eyes of my heart in large part remained closed. But when I was 21 years old, Jesus, God the Father and God the Son, said to the Holy Spirit, Go! And fire came. God did a work in me that changed my life forever. Forever. So when did the gospel come alive to you? For many of you, there's your story and your testimony is very, very similar. I became a Christian when I was six years old, but it wasn't until I was 18 years old that all this stuff began to make sense for me. What is that? It's God giving you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened to the glories of Jesus. There are many people walking this life that are like that, that are believers but have no idea of the hope to which they've been called. They don't understand what it means to be brought up, to to be on fire, to be set on fire. They don't know know what it means to commune with God, to experience Him. And I have to ask you, have you been ever caught up in the glory of Jesus that it broke you to tears? Have you ever been so overwhelmed of the goodness of God that it marked you for the rest of your life? When was it that the glories of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit just exploded in front of you and it overtook you, It, it was an experience It was something that moved from theoretical to reality for you. That's what Paul's praying for. This can happen. Jesus is alive. You can experience Him, really. And there are many people in this life, in our world, who are walking around and are genuinely converted, but they don't experience Jesus at all. Their affections remain unstirred. They can hear theological dialogue out here. They can hear about the glories of God. And they remain unmoved. And apparently there are people in Ephesus just like this. And he's praying, God, do something about this. Shake them up. Baptize them with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, bring fire to them. Move their affections, their hearts. Set them on fire that people could watch them burn. Remember when you became a Christian? How in love with Jesus you were? How often it is that that passion wanes over the years? I love that there are new believers here and the passion is still burning hot, and I pray it never goes. When I was early on in my faith, people would would say, oh, you're really passionate, but give it time, and you'll kind of level out, as if that was a good thing. Uh Oh, that passion will kind of go. I want to be more passionate than ever. I want God to do that. I want to experience the God that I read about. This is what Paul's praying. The eyes of your heart. This is experiential knowledge, that the eyes having the eyes of your heart's Enlightened that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. God wants this for us. He wants our hearts to explode toward the glories of God when we see who God is that we would be marked by it forever. This happened to me when I was twenty-one years old. It continues to happen today. Wanna to read a Testimony of a Puritan. And he says it like this, and this is uh, when God begins to move things that are theoretical down into the experiential. Read this, listen to the story. Let me find you tell, finally tell you again what I regard as one of the most beautiful ways in which this matter has ever been put. It is by Thomas Goodwin, one of the great Puritans again of 300 years ago, president of a college at Oxford during the Commonwealth, a brilliant scholar and preacher. And this is the difference between what I call the customary assurance or work of the Holy Spirit in the child of God. And this extraordinary assurance or work of the Holy Spirit in the child of God. He described a man and his little child, his son, walking down the road. They were walking hand in hand. Imagine me and my son walking hand in hand. The child knows that he is the child of his father. He knows that his father loves him. He rejoices in that. And he is happy about it. You got it in your mind? Picture it. Father, son walking. Son is happy. He knows his father loves him. They're having a great day. There is no uncertainty in the son about it all. But suddenly, the father, moved by some impulse, takes hold of that child, picks him up, holds him in his arms, kisses him, embraces him, showers love upon him, and he puts him down again, and they go on walking together. That is it. The child knew before that his father loved him. He knew... That he was his child, but oh, this loving embrace, this extra outpouring of love, this unusual manifestation of it, this is the kind of thing the Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Friends, I think that's what Paul's praying for. That they would experience the God of the universe in such intimate ways only in which God can reveal Himself to you in such intimate ways where the truth of who God is is brought from your mind down into your heart. It's like He picks you up and you meet with God and you dwell in His presence and you enjoy His presence and His love. And what what else could Paul be praying for here? They're already believers. He wants their eyes to be open to the glories of Jesus, to experience God in this way. One other quote from this book. This is... Uh, about Blaise Pascal, a famous famous mathematician, scientist, philosopher, theologian. Here's what Blaise Pascal said. This day of grace, 1654, from about half past 10 at night to about half after midnight. Here's what he says. Fire. 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 The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. not of the philosophers and the wise. Security, security, feeling, joy, peace. The God of Jesus Christ. Thy God shall be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything else except God. He can be found only in the ways taught in the gospel. Greatness in the human soul. Fire. It marked him forever experiencing God in this way. This is knowledge of the heart. This is the Spirit of God testifying with your spirit that you're indeed the son or daughter of God. Have you experienced God? Have you experienced Him? Have you had moments with Him that you're almost ashamed to tell, that you think this is for me and for God and nobody else is going to get the benefit of knowing what I have experienced with Him? Or is your life regularly and daily, although it is normal and we do have routines, do you experience Him? I want that. I want more. I want my heart to literally be just set on fire for the glory of God. The things that I know in my mind, I want to be pulled down, ripped down in my heart that I live with a passion of life. This is what Paul prays. Having the eyes of your heart, hearts being enlightened. Now, it's interesting. We have all, and this is not to, to mean in any way that we don't have the presence of God abiding with us every single day. Now, we've already read last week and studied last week that we have been sealed with the Spirit of God. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been sealed with the Spirit and you have full assurance the Spirit has been given to you as a guarantee, guaranteeing your inheritance until you acquire possession of it. But Paul immediately goes into the prayer for those who have received the Holy Spirit and he asks God to do this. A couple of years ago, I was going to preach this passage in a small church in Carterville. And uh, had a week off from uh, the church I was a part of and went over there. I was going to preach this, and I had no idea how to preach it. I actually had to not preach the passage because I didn't know what it was talking about. I just couldn't preach it. But I think, by God's grace, beginning to discover, wait a second, God does not want our lives as believers just to be theoretical. He wants to, us to experience the truth. Everything that is our, ours in Christ, all of the spiritual blessings we've been talking about, He doesn't want us to stay in the place of only thinking about it. To experience the inheritance of being a son or a daughter of God. That's for us. To experience being sealed with the Spirit. To experience being redeemed from our sin. To be pulled out of our sin. This is to be experienced. So I want this for us. This is what... Paul's praying. There are some people who are not experiencing God this way and I want want them to experience God this way. And here's what he prays for. If these two things happen, okay, if God you give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of their heart being opened, here's what happens. Verse 18, look with me. That you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. That's the first thing, that you may know. This is an experiential kind of knowledge. This is not just mental assent. This is knowledge of the heart. He wants them to know the hope that they've been called. Secondly, he wants them to know, if this happens, the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. And number three, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness towards, of his power toward us who believes. So basically, commentator after commentator I read on this is, is this. Everything that's laid out in Ephesians chapter 1, the glories of the spiritual blessings. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul then prays for them to know and experience that which he just called them to. So this is not even just a secondary experience of God's grace or anything like that, but it is a conscious awareness of everything that is, in, that is theirs in Christ. So all of these spiritual blessings that is really, really there for them, he wants them to experience every single one of them. He wants them to know about their inheritance. He wants them to know the immeasurable greatness of, of His power toward us who believe. So th- this is His prayer, that if this happens, then this will happen. If this happens, the result will be this. He wants them to experience and to know what is theirs in Christ. And this is the lifelong journey that we're on. The rest of our life, this is what we're going to be discovering. The Holy Spirit is going to cause us to stumble over another truth about the glory of Jesus again. And then next year, 2016, next year, 2017, I'm going to stumble by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit over another glorious truth about Jesus. And then in 2018, you know what else? I'm going to experience something else that God has for me in Christ. And then the endless blessings that continually come for us in 2018, I'm going to experience more things that God has for me in Christ. And this is what He has for you. More. He's going to open our eyes more and more and more to what is already ours in Christ. He goes on. and He says this. That it's according to. This is where we get to our passage on the resurrection. Verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to. So all of these requests are built on this firm foundation. According to the working of His great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Verse 22, he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So these requests that Paul lays out are built on the foundation of the resurrection. The hope to which you have been called. Okay, what's that hope? We too will be resurrected. We too will experience. We too will have an inheritance. Why? Because we have a resurrected Lord. If it wasn't for Easter, you know what we would not have? We would not have an inheritance. We would not have a hope. If Christ is still in the grave, we would have none of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. None of them. If Christ is dead, his death is the exact same as the thieves that were on his left and his right. His death was no different than when the Emperor Nero crucified thousands upon thousands upon thousands of believers. If he is still dead, his death is the exact same as their death. Absolutely, down in history, it's just another one in the number. He was a man who was crucified. But if He is alive, and He is indeed, then everything that is Christ's is ours. Then there's more for us to experience. If He is alive, then He's the risen Lord, and He is in our presence even right now. He is omnipresent, meaning He's here with us. And we experience Him. When we sing these songs, when we receive communion, when we hear and gather around the Word of God, we're experiencing the God of the universe. And we want each week when we come into the presence of God, for God to open our eyes a little bit more to the realities of what He is doing around us. We want to experience these things. Our Lord is risen. There are three things in here that this passage talks about from 19b to 22. All of these requests are according to the working number one of His great might seen in His resurrection. Because God raised Jesus to life, He can open the eyes of your heart. If God is big enough to save you, He's big enough to show you the glory of that salvation. Again, we sing about the gospel every single week. Every week we go through a a song rotation. It's God, man, Christ response. And as you hear our praise team up here, every single week we're gathering, the Holy Spirit's leading us around this idea. There is a God. And He's holy and He's good and He's right. And in light of who God is, we have sinned against Him. And we are not like God. God is holy, just, and right. And we are not holy. And we are wrong. We have sinned against Him. But the story doesn't stop there. The songs continue. It brings us to the cross of Christ. It brings us to the glory of Jesus dying in our place for our sins. And then the resurrection, that He is alive. And then we end with celebration because we're celebrating the work of God on our behalf. Every single week. And here's the deal. If we are unmoved by the gospel of Jesus then we desperately need this to happen to us. We desperately need the the power of God in our life. We need our affection stirred. If we can sing about the gospel of Jesus and it doesn't move us emotionally, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And we need the prayer of Paul for Ephesus to be answered here this morning that God would open our eyes again. How many people need to be refreshed by the glory of the gospel? How many people in here need energy and passion in life. How many people feel dry spiritually? How many people want to experience God here again today? Me? This guy? And because he's alive, he has the power to do this. Secondly, this is according to His power and rule. He is at the right hand of, God, of our God and Father. Uh, Jesus is in charge of everything. And if He's in charge of everything, He's in charge of this room. And He is big enough to answer this prayer of Paul. He's big enough to work in your heart this morning. And three, according to our position, He is ours and we are His. He, in a sense, views Himself, now this is going to sound crazy, partial without His body. Without us, This is the work in which he came to do. It says that which is his body, us, the body of Christ, verse 23. We are the fullness of him who fills all in all. That for him, we are his bride, and we are his, and he is ours. So, in a sense, he sees himself partial without his body. He is our Savior, and we are his body. So, this Resurrection Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, Andy, you can go ahead and come up. This Resurrection Sunday, here's what I'm hoping and praying for for you as a believer. For us, this is Paul's prayer for you, and then I'm going to read my request. Woohoo! It's okay. It's Marie's birthday, by the way. Happy, birthday. Happy birthday, Marie. On Resurrection Sunday. It's pretty cool. Here's Paul's prayer. I'm going to read it again, and then I'm going to lay out my prayer and request. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. So, for believers, this is for you. Hear this prayer. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, here's what it is, may give to you, give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So this morning, may your knowledge of Him expand. In what way? Having the eyes of your heart, hearts enlightened. Eyes of your hearts enlightened. That's what I want for you this morning. This is Paul's prayer. That you may know, experience what is the hope to which He has called you what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. Let me read my prayer here for you. Believer, if Jesus is alive, if Jesus is in charge, if Jesus calls you His own, Can He not bring the fire of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him by opening the eyes of our hearts this morning? If He is all of these things, can He not do it? And I say yes. And I'm going to ask you as we're praying and singing as we receive communion, that God would just do this for you. That he would take your knowledge of him from your mind deep down into your heart, and you would experience the presence and the power of Jesus here this morning. If you're a non Christian, because Jesus is alive this Resurrection Sunday, you can live. Repent and believe the gospel. The truth is this if you're not in Christ, you're a sinner. You've sinned against God, and you deserve nothing from God. But the truth is this he loved you anyways. He came for sinners. The radical thing about the love of God is it doesn't seek out the lovely. It seeks out the sinners. And this morning you can experience that. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would meet with us this morning. John the Baptist's favorite title for you, Jesus, was that He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And if we have never known something of fire in our lives personally, God, I pray You'd bring it. I was a Christian when I was five. Fire came at 21. Bring fire. Bring passion. Work in our hearts this morning. Open the eyes of our hearts this morning. All of us, may we experience You. May it be like D.L. Moody where we so experience Your love where we have to request for You to lay off. Stay Your hand, God. I can't take it you love me that much? I am your son. Or ladies, I am your daughter. Open our eyes. God, just like the story with Thomas Goodwin, as we're walking, holding your hand, kneel down, I ask this morning, pick us up, hold us, and let us experience your love for us. Help us to respond. Jesus' name. Amen. You can stand and we're going to sing about our risen Lord. And after that, we will receive communion. If you want prayer, you can come and pray. If you just want to worship, stand and worship. Let's just worship Him here this morning.